The 24 Shades of Blue Cold Case Edition series is about real ongoing homicide investigations. The following conversation may be disturbing to some people and is not recommended for all ages. Viewer discretion is advised. Welcome to 24 Shades of Blue Cold Case Edition. I'm your host, Andy O'Brien. On August 27, 1987, 21-year-old Margaret McWilliam left her basement apartment to go for one of her regular jogs around the Warden subway station. On August 28, 1987, police responded to a check address call, discovering Margaret in the woods of Warden Woods Park, who was deceased and showed signs of violent trauma. Margaret was beloved by her friends and family, her mother, Charlotte, spoke to us about who Margaret was in her lifetime. Margaret was born in Deep River, Ontario. She was a premature baby, so she had a lot of struggle in her early life um, because she was uh, in hospital for a long time, um, and she was tiny, which is rather different from her mother. And um, um, But every difficulty that she had, um, she managed to overcome. I mean, she, she wasn't big. She was five foot four, but, um, but she, uh, um, and she had difficulty at school at the beginning, but she learned to read eventually and she loved reading. And that was, you know, that was fantastic because I love reading too, but, but she did, she loved reading and, um, you know, as she grew up, she did better and better in school until she was an Ontario scholar by the end of high school. And, and I mean, she was a very hard worker. She worked, she was very conscientious. Um, and I think everyone would agree that her conscientiousness and her reliability were significant characteristics. She was also a bit old fashioned uh, in some ways. I mean, she wasn't you know, one of the gang, one of the leaders of the gang in high school ever, but she did her own thing, which she always enjoyed. And she uh, did, um, well, the things that that she particularly liked um, and more and more, you know, gained more and more confidence as she went on. One of the things that, you know, I was remembering, well, how proud I was um, when Margaret overcame things. And one of the aspects of that <laughs> was skiing. Um, we lived near a small family ski hill, and my husband was an excellent skier. And my son, uh, Margaret's younger brother, was a great skier and jumper and on the National Capital Division team. Margaret and I weren't the world's greatest skiers, but we liked skiing. And we used to go on ski holidays at, um, um, in the March break. Um, and I suddenly realized Margaret was a better skier than I was. <laughs> that, that made me very proud. And it was things like that. She, was, she loved cooking. And um, she really enjoyed experimenting and trying different things much more experimental than I was. And um, um, th that sort of thing, she, I mean, she was, she worked as camp counselor in the summer um, in her later teens. 
And uh, she was very good at crafts. Well, all those things, I mean, I've done, but you know, it was the realization that she was doing them well. That, oh, and another big thing, she won the chemistry prize in grade 12. Well, I mean, chemistry, my God. Uh, she worked very, very hard. She discovered Warden Woods Park. And that was the downside of everything because um, Warden Woods Park was woodsy. It had a stream running through it. It had wildflowers. And in the midst of Toronto, there was this sort of peaceful haven. And, and she was sort of planning, you know, getting in shape for this walking holiday that never happened. Hello, everyone. Sitting with me today in our studio to discuss the case is Acting Detective Sergeant Steve Smith from Toronto Homicide. How are you, Steve? I'm good, Andy. How are you? Great. I appreciate you coming down here. Um, we have another uh, case that needs to be solved. Let's let's talk about Margaret, um, what she was doing on the day uh, she disappeared. Margaret was uh, a 21-year-old young lady, her whole life ahead of her. She was originally from the Ottawa area, had come down to Toronto. And she was uh, going to school as well as working in the Toronto area. She was living over on Santa Monica Boulevard at the time. So she was last seen leaving her work in the early afternoon, had went home. People had spoken to her about six o'clock that evening. So it's believed, but sometime between six and seven, she put her running gear on and went for a run in Warden Woods Park. I'm guessing that she probably did that most days after work, keep herself in shape, get a little exercise, go for a run. It's a nice August evening in 1987. She just figured she'd go for a run, come back and and do whatever she was going to do for the rest of the evening. Unfortunately, it appears that someone was lying in wait for her in the park, whether it was a crime of opportunity or whether this person had maybe been living or or spending time in the park and had seen her run through at a certain time every evening. But it appears that unfortunately someone grabbed Margaret, dragged her into the bushes, sexually assaulted her and murdered her. So this was potentially somebody that frequented this park that almost timed her on her daily run, potentially. There is that possibility. Um, whatever the, the events that happened that evening, someone was in the park and was able to grab a hold of Margaret and drag her up into a wooded area off the path. Now, this is Warden Woods Park on an August evening. You would think that there was a number of people within that park walking, walking their dogs, playing, having kids out in the evening. It wouldn't have been dark at seven o'clock on an August evening. So I'm sure there was a number of people in the park and he uh, he was still able to grab her, drag her into the bushes and uh, be able to sexually assault her and and murder her. What events played out that led to Margaret's body being discovered? So Margaret didn't show up at work the next day, which obviously everybody came, became concerned and notified the police. They went to check and found that she wasn't at her home and then conducted a large scale search. Uh, uh, dogs were brought in and the park area was searched and, and police were able to find her body up in a, a wooded area in Warden Woods Park. And Steve, what items were missing from Margaret's purse? And I know this was of interest to the police. The big thing that was missing was her uh, her cassette player. So her Walkman. I know a lot of the younger viewers aren't going to know what a Walkman is, but it's uh, it was basically a, a square tape player that you were able to strap to your belt and you were able to run with headphones on. Uh, very similar to what we have now, just a lot bigger. Um, and that was missing from her person. So we believe that the the individual actually stole her Walkman. 
and whatever, whether it was a trophy or whether he was going to sell it for a few bucks, um, we were never, never able to recover that. You think this was maybe a trophy potentially like somebody that was, was a repeat offender for sex crimes and, and murder? Or do you think this, what's your gut telling you? My gut would be if this person was living in the park area. I mean, there was a number of things recovered from in and around the area where sh- her body was found. So it, it appears that if someone wasn't living there, they were at least spending a lot of time up in that park area in the wooded area of the park. So I, I would tend to believe that this person may have needed a few bucks or wanted a few dollars uh, for whatever they were going to do with it. But um, they were able to commit this crime and then take her her personal belongings as well. And this was an especially um, disturbing crime. What what do we know happened to Margaret? And do we know approximately when? It would have been in early August evening when she was running. And we do believe that someone was either hiding in the bush and was able to grab her or was following her along the path or even coming across her on the path, but was able to grab her, uh, take physical control of her and take her up into a, uh, a, a wooded area where they had obviously been spending some time. And uh, they they sexually assaulted her and they they strangulated her. What do we know about the potential suspect or any DNA? We haven't gone too far with the DNA because there's there are a number of profiles. So we're narrowing down exactly which profile we're going to we're key into. But um, there are a number of witnesses that came forward that did say they saw a large male um, hanging around in the park just to say there's any nexus between him and this crime. That's a bit of a stretch at this point, but it is obviously someone to look at. And what do we know specifically about this larger suspect? That's all we had from people was the fact that they had seen a male loitering around in that area. He was a large male and, um, and he was nowhere to be found when we came back. So those are one of the people that we're, we're keying into. We've seen or we've received a number of tips in regards to this case over the years. We've done a lot of media on this. And, and every time we do, we receive further tips. And, and a lot of them are actually very, uh, very pointed. We've collected a number of uh, DNA samples from people and, and we have no match as of yet. And I think overall, what was the, the motive behind this killing, do you think? Did it start out as a robbery or did it start out as a sexual assault and turn into a murder? Um, whatever the original intent was, this turned into the murder of a young, vulnerable woman. And it's just, it's unacceptable. I mean, in 1987 in Warden Woods Park, you, you just wouldn't think that that would happen. It's, uh, it's, it's egregious. And again, it's just, it's a young woman with her whole uh, future ahead of her. And it was snuffed out by whatever this person was thinking at that time. I find it hard to believe that this person hasn't reoffended. Do you think they have or they're, is this a repeat offender, do you think, and that could be out there still? As with every cold case, we run the DNA through our data banks and we have no scene-to-scene matches. So there's no other occurrences that come up, as well as there's no hits on the national DNA database for any of the offenders' uh, profiles. So... The problem we have is um, we have no connection to any other crime, so we can't definitively say that these people are involved in other crimes. But as we've discussed in basically all our cases, we have DNA. This is a long time ago. When we find out who this person is, we have to backtrack to figure out what they were doing, A, before this crime, B, since this crime. I mean, who knows what they could be up to, and it really has to be fully investigated. 
Let's take a look at some of the uh, the crime scene photos that we have here from you guys. Let's talk about them briefly here. This is the uh, this looks like a overhead view of the location. Um, let's talk about this, Steve. So as you can see um, in Scarborough at the time, this is a fairly well-traveled area. I mean, St. Clair is a, uh, a major street, which is over to the left-hand side of the, the picture. Uh, Warden Subway Station is right there, which also uh, leads to the point of somebody could have came from anywhere in the city, taken a subway ride, got off at the subway, decided they were going to take a walk into the park as well. Warden Woods Park over to the right-hand side. As you can see, a wooded area on both sides with a track through the middle. Um, the area is surrounded by homes and businesses. Especially that time and that it was summer. You do think someone may have seen something? I definitely think that somebody may have seen something being in the park. They may not have realized at the time what they had, had seen. And I know, um, you know, back in 1987, unless you were picking up a, uh, a newspaper or watching the, the nightly news, you may not have realized what had actually occurred in the park. And the great thing about the, the podcast is we can get this out to, to people that, that may not have knowledge of what occurred back then they may tweak their memory that you know what i was in the park at that time and and i remember something occurring they may have a tiny bit of information that they may not think is relevant but any sort of information to us is relevant it could be the last piece of the puzzle and this particular shot that we see here this is uh, i guess where the uh, victim was was drug up to you want to talk a little bit about this? So as you can see, the running park there, this is a close-up shot of uh, Warden Woods Park. You can see how close the the roadway is there. Um, it's almost a raised roadway up above the park at. Um, the running path down there, it's not like the path is covered with trees. It's fairly open. Like it's, it's a, you would feel safe running up and down this path, even in, uh, even in the twilight uh, of seven o'clock on an August evening, right? There's a, uh, there doesn't seem to be any sort of threat. It's not covered. It's not built in. And she was just running down that path. And whether the uh, the individual came out of that tree line and grabbed her, whether he was waiting out on the path or whether he was just walking up and down the path at the time, but he was able to take physical control and drag her up that hill and into the uh, wooded area there where it, it appears he'd been spending some time. And even though uh, Margaret wasn't a large person, the person that did this to drag her up there, especially if she was fighting, um, this would have been somebody that had a decent amount of strength to them. Taking physical control of any person, especially when they don't want to be taken physical control of is, uh, it's not an easy task. So this individual would have had to have some strength and would have had to have some uh, willpower to be able to do this, to drag her off the path and up into that area. And as, again, as you can see, as we close, close in e even closer on the path, it's actually a very wide, very open path. There would be, you wouldn't, you would have no concerns running this path. No, but there would have been a lot of time for resistance. One could have even dropped their full body weight down to stop being pulled. And this person which that probably happened, the person probably went down to try and not go into that undercover. You would think so. I mean, if someone grabs you in a, in a spot like this, you know that your life at that point is probably in jeopardy. And this person was able to overpower. And as you can see, this is, uh, this is thick brush. They would have had to have control of her and drag her up into the, uh, the wooded area. This is, uh, 
this person was very determined to uh, to commit this murder. So there could have been bikes, cars, and runners, potentially walkers on this path. Well, you'd think uh, an August evening, as you could see from the uh, satellite shot, that this area is surrounded by uh, homes and apartment buildings. And and this is a park. It's a, a, a fairly well-known park. You'd think that there are people be out there at all hours of the evening, afternoon, that the park would be full of people. And Steve, now we're going to look at the shoe print here that was left by the assailant. We believe that this is the offender's footprint. And as you can see, it's a fairly large footprint. Like we're talking up around size 12. So we're looking at a a very large individual, obviously wearing running shoes. And when you combine this with the items that were left up into the the tree line, we believe that this individual was spending time in the trees, was spending whatever he was doing there, whether he was sitting and watching, whether he was just... Uh, living in those in that bush, wh- whether he was just spending time there for whatever reason, um, when he did grab Margaret, um, he he left a footprint in the uh, in the dirt that we were able to recover. These are the final remarks that Margaret's family would like to leave the person who took their daughter's life on that tragic day. My life was cut in half. That's what I I've, I've always felt that that Margaret's death was the slash in, um, in my life. And, and it will always be, I don't think that will ever change. I mean, there, I've had other tragedies before Margaret's death and after Margaret's death, but they were tragedies of, um, sort of what happens in a normal life. I have no idea what his life was like. It was, could have been terrible. It must have been terrible to, to make him do what he did, but he did it. And, and it was wrong. And, and that's, that's all. And the, I, I, I mean, if he's alive still, he's living with that. And I don't know whether you can ever get over that, but something that he could do it would tidy up some ends is say, I did it. And it might help him. It might help him deal with, you know, what he must have had to deal with in recent years, wherever he is, or even somebody who knows. Uh, Like, I think there are people too who might know, like there might be a mother who cared about her son who um, might help her, at, it, it, perhaps, to, um, to talk to the police. There might be a wife or a girlfriend, um, and it might, be, it might help her. It's, a very, it's very difficult. That's, that's what I would say. And Steve, after hearing from Margaret's mother, this really does kind of go back to everything that we've talked about um, in all of the other cold cases that there is some people out there that probably know what happened here and are probably living with a certain amount of guilt, the killer, but other people in that killer's life. You want to talk a little bit about that potential? There's two takeaways that I have from that. One is I can't imagine what her family went through sending your 21 year old down to uh, better her life through education and work and uh, finding out that she's murdered 
in cold blood. And two, um, Margaret's mother is exactly correct. Somebody knows. Um, you can't commit this sort of heinous crime and either brag about it or be remorseful about it and be willing to tell somebody. So there is somebody out there that knows who did this and we want to get justice for Margaret. I mean, this is 1987. We're moving on here. Like we're obviously going to continue investigating this and we're going to do everything that we possibly can to arrest this individual. But if anybody does know what happened in on that August day, please let us know and and we'll do the rest. Like you say, it has been a little bit of time um, and it's time that we, you know, find the person that did this. And we, at some point um, with DNA working in our favor, 100%, this person will come to justice at some point. There are other individuals that can really help themselves, you know, and um, talk about what transpired because a young woman was brutally murdered and sexually assaulted while going to school and this disgusting behavior uh it needs to come to an end because chances are this person could hurt the individuals who are withholding this information they could already have hurted innocent uh, individuals or could exactly i mean have been willing in their past to commit murder wandering around in our communities it's not fair for our communities it's not fair for the vulnerable people in our communities and it's not fair to their victims. I mean, these people should be brought to justice and uh, they should be taken to court and and have a trial for what they've done. And I think for the, the individual that did this crime, you know, they're going to be living with a certain amount of guilt. They're going to be living in anxiety, uh, looking around their shoulder for Toronto homicide, because at some point the DNA, they will reoffend or the DNA that you have from this case will give you guys uh, and point you in the right, give you more information and point you in the right direction. So this person would do themselves a lot more justice by just bringing this to you guys and, you know, coming, coming uh, clean with the information. Every six months now we're getting more advances in science. So eventually our hope is that with all our 700 cold cases that we're able to develop some sort of DNA profiles. I mean, we're getting to the point now where we need microscopic amounts of DNA and we're able to develop uh, offender profiles and and the options to do so many other things with it now are uh, every day they're becoming more available to us. So we plan on catching these people. We plan on catching Margaret's murderer. And if this person wants to come talk to us, if if they're ready, if they're at that time in their life where they regret the things that they did in the past, uh, give us a call and, and we can we can organize something to speak with this person. And Steve, what is your message to the viewers? I mean, this was a 21-year-old um, vulnerable young lady who was uh, just starting out in her life or career. She deserves so much better. And for whatever reason, this person decided to snuff her life out, um, to take her life from her, drag her into the bushes and, and, and murder her. And if you know anything, provide us with that name and we'll do the rest. Thank you very much for being here with us today, Steve. Thank you, Andy. 